0: Well, good morning. It's a, a delight to be back with you this morning, and uh, we're going to try to pick back up where we were. We're going to be in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 to 20. Uh, we 're still in this this section on submission, uh, just to kind of recap he 's gone through he 's gone through uh, uh, a number of doctrinal issues in chapter one he's stated our salvation how it came uh, talked about our sanctification in Christ and all that the blood of christ has done has done for us. He went on to tell us that and the the major the major theme that runs through uh, runs through first peter is is uh <coughs> Excuse me, but like the Holy One who called you, the uh, be holy yourselves also in all your conduct, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Verses 15 and 16 of chapter one. And as we move into the section we're in now on submission, uh, it it it. It uh, was introduced by verse 12 of chapter 1, which said, By keeping your conduct excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the things which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good works as they observe them, glorify God in the day of of visitation. And then he went into this, he he goes into this series of. of areas to which the believer is to be in submission, and the first one was to, to uh, establish governmental authority, and he, he we talked about that well three weeks ago now, but uh, uh, but at any rate uh, um, uh, that was a lesson we all went through during COVID. But at any rate, at any rate, uh, 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 that was uh, that was his first section talking about being subject to the human institutions, and based, and it's based upon the fact that. There is no authority except as given by sovereign God. That's, that's the basis of it. Romans 13 is, is that there is no authority but the God-ordained authority. And therefore, you're to be in submission to it. Of course, there's the caveat to it. The caveat is as long as whatever the, the one you're submitting to isn't requiring you to sin against God, leading you into sin. That's the caveat. Uh, but otherwise, you are to submit. And so he comes and and this word submission basically is a military term that means to to excuse me, to line yourself up under a commander. That's that's the basic term. That's what it means to submit. The submit means to line yourself up under the one in authority. That's, that's what it means. And, and, and the authority then is derived from God. So this morning, the first thing he talked about was submission to government. This one he's going to talk about, uh, I put it down in management labor relations, but it's a little bit different in the Roman world. Uh, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it, it's the relationship within a uh, 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 master-slave uh, relationship here in the Roman Empire. Uh, it would translate somewhat... To today's world, today's world's a lot different, uh, in labor management relationships. How you relate to those people who have authority over you in the workplace is, is really the idea here. And then, uh, the next place, then he's going to. From there, he's going to go to, and it is very much related to this relationship. Although it's related to all three of the relationships he's going to discuss, he's going to point to the fact that Christ is our example. We're to take from the example He gave us when He was here on Earth with us. Those are those are the things to which He's going to uh, th- that, he, that He's going to do after this text, followed by submission within the household the family Uh, that's the that's the uh, the uh, final uh, final uh, one of this section through verse 12 uh, on submission and then he's going to move to another topic so that's where we're going to be going this morning we're going to be looking at submission in the workplace and uh, before we do uh, would you open us please in prayer Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you've given us to, to assemble together as your body, and to hear your word proclaimed to us, to hear John to speak to us and teach us from 1 Peter. We thank you uh, for, for calling us into the Lord, into your family, and for giving us rules that we can follow that bring honor and glory to you. May we learn intently, may we learn enthusiastically, and may, we, may we grow uh, in submission and in love towards one another and in towards you. So I thank you for this day, and I thank you for the opportunity to become more like your Son, whom we worship and whom we whom we proclaim until we come again. We thank you for this. We thank you for these. Things, for Amen. Amen. Okay. This I I kind of thought coming in as I as I was studying this text, I thought, you know, probably one of the things we need to deal with is uh, uh, is uh, the concept of slavery in the Roman Empire, uh, because unfortunately. I don't know about you, but I hear the word slave, and I think 19th century America. That's what I think. And that's what most Americans think. That's what most Westerners think. However, slavery in Rome was much different. It was not 19th century America, although yes, there were some abuses, yes, there were some terrible things, it really wasn't like that, it wasn't at all like 19th century America, in fact, in the early days of Rome, when it was on its march to become an empire, there were very few slaves in Rome, and the the first slaves of Rome were prisoners of war. Uh, by conquest, when they con- when they conquered another people, and they and they took various people uh, prisoner. Um, so that's the first place that they got they got uh, uh, they got uh, prisoners from. And there were a few in those early days. Uh, yeah, just come on in. Uh, there there were a few in those early days. By the by the first century, there were millions. Uh, And so uh, we need to kind of understand how they were used. Uh, they, uh, They were acquired in a number of ways. Uh, they were required through war. Obviously, that was the first one, prisoners of war. But that continued as the Roman Empire advanced. That continued. That was a policy of the ancient world. Uh, we saw that with Israel uh, when it was taken by Assyria, Judah when it was taken by Nebuchadnezzar. That's what they did. They took people and put them into their empires. And, and it was a a forced bondage in, in effect. Uh, secondly, uh, many of these were there were roving bands of... Marauders, I suppose you would say, that kidnapped people and then sold them and uh, there was a large slave market in, in Turkey, and many of the uh, many of the Romans bought slaves from the Turkish slave market, uh, so that's that's another place that they came from and then of course, as the number of slaves increased, there were those who were born to those slaves and they were born into slavery and so you had that that as well, and then you had the other group. Uh, that basically went into slavery because of debt. It's the only way they could pay off a debt. And so you had that. They weren't really equivalent to uh, what we uh, might see as an indentured servant, but closer there than maybe to what we would see as a slave. Uh, They were the primary workforce of Rome. Uh, Basically, in Rome itself, the Roman citizens didn't do much work, uh, physical work. They had... Slaves that did the physical work. However, their jobs had a very wide range. There were, of course, uh, excuse me. uh, Rome had a lot of mines and a lot of agriculture, and of course, a lot of them worked in the mines and agriculture. One of the one of the things I found in the British Museum's arc. writings about roman slavery was that 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 the romans had a practice that if they had a really dangerous job in a mine or on a farm they hired freemen to do it because the fl- slaves were too valuable to risk so that's kind of the way they looked toward them. Uh, they would hire. They would hire other people to do it. But all, many of them were doctors. Some of them were teachers. They were musicians. They were actors. They were secretaries, and they were stewards. And the stewards were the guys who ran the master's household. They handled his finances. Uh, they did a. They were. They were. They were very respected within the household. In fact, now this guy isn't very respected. But the uh, the dishonest. Uh, Uh, steward of Luke 6, maybe is one of these kind of guys. He handled the business of his master and it was just left to him. Uh, now, now he was a thief and an embezzler, but nevertheless uh, the the fact of the matter is that's the that's the kind of jobs these guys held. They were in charge of teaching the children they would hire they would bring these these people in to teach the children some of them were very highly educated obviously some of them were doctors uh, musicians actors secretaries and so on in fact, the stewards very often some of the masters who really trusted their stewards uh, would, would actually give them a kind of conditional freedom because a slave couldn't sign a contract. So they would give these stewards conditional freedom so that they could actually sign contracts for them. They would basically give them power of attorney, I guess we would call it in our society today, to, to interact in business for them. Uh, so that's, uh, that's kind of the idea. Now, slavery, but slaves were seen as a thing. Rome still saw them as a as a thing. They adapted the Greek idea of slavery. Aristotle said said that slaves were a living tool. That's basically what he said. Uh, Roman historian Vero wrote that the difference between a slave and a beast or a cart was the fact that a slave could speak. That was that was how they distinguished them. But by the time we got to the to the to the first century, uh, there really was no. Uh, there was really no allow now we 'll talk about this next week not next week in two weeks a little bit more uh, when it comes to marriage in the Roman Empire and, and how that worked out but but slaves didn 't actually marry. There was no marriage ceremonies. nobody said anything over them. They basically, we would say they cohabited is, is kind of the, the idea or they were common law is more the way it happened happened, but they had families within the family, and they had children within the family and they were and they were some, and they were actually paid by the first century a d uh, they weren 't paid much. But they were allowed to accumulate uh, certain amounts of money. Now the masters controlled that, but it was their money, and they could eventually purchase their own freedom. It was very often it was better to be a slave than a free person, depending on what your job was. But nevertheless, nevertheless, they they were able to do that. But ultimately, the master was law. Uh, Now, this is a place where I I discovered that uh, I don't think anybody had a clue, Uh, but I, I tried to look up how many slaves there were in the Roman Empire in the first century. The lowest number was 10 million. The highest number was 60 million. So they were real clear on how many there were. Uh, So I don't know how many there were, uh, but some said 20% of the population. Others said different things. But one thing that was pretty clear was the slave population of Rome itself. It was three to one. For For every citizen of Rome, there were three slaves. It was very highly populated, uh, highly populated uh, with slaves. Most of them lived on the top floor of the master's house. Incidentally, uh, it was cited in in, uh, a couple of the uh, references I looked up that those accommodations were good enough that they were used for guest quarters at times as well. They weren't shanties, if you will they were they were well well furnished and well taken care of. Their clothing was comparable to that of the free as the free as free people. Uh, they were indistinguishable in the community. in fact, at one time, there was legislation introduced into the Roman Senate to make slaves wear a different kind of a uniform, so that you would be able to identify who the slaves were. Uh, they They soon figured out that that wasn't a good idea, given the fact that slaves were three to one, the slaves would know how well they outnumbered, uh, and uh, they didn't want another Spartacus incident, uh, you know. So that was uh, that was put on the shelf really quick. But then enters Christianity, and that's where we come to our teaching today. Uh, in the eyes of Christianity, all men are precious in the sight of God, and social statuses and and barriers are broken down. Galatians chapter three, verses uh, twenty six. <clears throat> chapter 3, 20, uh, starting at 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, having clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, uh, there is no male, there is no female, uh, all are one in Christ. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed according, uh, according to promise. So there was a new status given to the individual in Christianity. Christianity didn't see a slave as a tool. Christianity saw them as a human being, just as a free man, and in no different. There was a there was no there was no breakdown by gender. There was no breakdown by ethnicity. There was no breakdown by any standards or status uh, in society, uh, and so from that th- there could arise some problems. In fact. Uh, uh, Callius, who was the Bishop of Rome from 218 to 223 AD, was a slave. And he became the Bishop of Rome. Uh, Barclay, William Barclay points out that uh, uh, Perpetula, uh, an aristocrat, and Felicia, a slave girl, were martyred hand in hand. Uh, They're there's the, uh, no breakdown uh, of status or gender or anything else within uh, within Christianity. Many of the first-century uh, Christians were slaves. In fact, it would be entirely possible that a slave could be head of a congregation that his master was a member of. You know, and that would create some interesting authority levels. You know. Uh, <laughs> You really, in, in, that, in that case. And, but it opened the door to a couple of problems, and this is the, what, what a dr- this writing addresses. The first problem that this door opens is s- both the slave and the master are believers. Here's your situation. You have a slave and master that are both believers. It might be, well, that the slave thinks he can now presume upon the master not to do the work. Well, in actuality, the slave is to be a better worker. Ephesians chapter 6. i got too many tags in here. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Uh, Paul writes, Slaves be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the integrity of your heart as, as to Christ, not by way of eye, uh, eye service as man-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Serving with uh, serving with goodwill as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one of you does, he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is whether free uh, whether slave or free. Uh, so that's the status that that are not the status. That's the situation that you could have is is you could have the the slave who says. Hey, we're both believers. I I can kick back. You know he you know he's got a he's got to treat me a certain way. That, that kind of thing. Uh, you you often see that. And he says not as you know we're not to we're not to operate that way. We're, and that that applies to today's workplace. You're not to you're not to just work when the boss is looking. You know I I supervised um, basically a shop of forty four men, and uh, I had this one guy that he would always. Around goofing off somewhere, and if I happen to walk in the place, he got real busy real fast. You know, and it's like you really don't think I didn't see what you were doing. You know. Anyway, that's a man pleaser. That's that's the idea. Secondly, Christian uh, Christian slaves might think that their freedom in Christ should translate to freedom physically on this planet and during this time as far as status is concerned and it might uh, it might lead to the fact of rebellion and the uh, the uh, the thought that we should rebel in the name of God you know that people use God's name for all kinds of kinds of things but the fact of the matter is the new testament never makes a case for abolishing slavery it's not there it's not in the text in fact Maybe, to a certain extent, a little bit of the opposite. Paul, writing to his good friend Philemon, about a runaway slave named Onesimus, said, I plead with you for my child Onesimus, of whom I have become a father in my chains, who formerly was useless to you, but is now useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is, my very heart, whom I intended to keep with me so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel but without your consent i did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion but voluntary perhaps this is the reason for perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while that you would know uh, that you would have him back no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a blo- as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Paul basically says, he's your slave, I'm sending him home, back to where he belongs. Now I would like to keep him. but And then he goes on to tell Philemon that if he owes you anything, I'll pay for it, but keep in mind you owe me your life. But, you know, <laughs> Paul was pretty slick. You know, he knew what he was doing. Uh, but any, at any rate, at any rate, uh, it never, it never, it never, it never is in the New Testament to end slavery. It, it, it's not there. And then, as kind of the pragmatic side of this, had in that early days of the first century, of the early days of the church, had the slaves rebelled against Rome, uh, Christian slaves rebelled against Rome, it would have, it would have, it would have, it would have uh, uh, sent a devastating blow to the spread of the gospel. When Rome crushed them, uh, under the providence of God, of course, you know he could have intervened. But, but nevertheless, the pragmatic side of it is, Rome didn't stand, stand rebellion. They would have stomped them like a bug. That's that's really what would have happened. So, but on the other side of things, as time unfolded, most most everywhere Christianity took hold. Uh, slavery disappeared. In America, 600,000 Americans died to end slavery. You know uh, In England, under primarily the teaching of the Wesleys and some others, uh, laws, uh, labor laws were changed. Uh, childhood labor was ended, uh, debtors, prisons were ended in effect slavery was ended in England as well. So so you you have those kind of things going on with it. But that gives kind of an overview of of this of this text of what the the conditions were. Wasn't 19th century America. Just keep that in mind. So now we'll go to the the text and first of all the command in verse 9 or excuse me not verse 9 in verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to those who are good and considerate, but to those who are crooked. So the first thing, so so we have several texts that uh, that deal with with this this same idea. Uh, Ephesians six five and following we've already read. Colossians three twenty two and following. 1 Timothy six one and following. Titus two nine and following. All all give this basically same same context that Peter is giving here is, is saying all of those same things, and then he says. He, he, the next in the LSV, they translated servants, and that's a really good translation for, for English readers. It's a really good translation because the word there is not Dulos. It's not slave, as we normally know it. It's okenis, which is a word that means household servant. That's what it means. That, that's the word he's using. He's using the word household servant it 's the same word that 's used in acts ten seven where uh, Cornelius sends two of his household servants to get to get Peter to bring him there to bring the gospel to to the uh, and, and eventually his whole household, meaning the servants as well, is saved. The same word is used in acts sixteen thirty one thirty four where Paul interacts with the Philippian jailer, and it says, his whole household was slave, is saved. It's the same word, meaning all of those people working within his household, all of those slaves, if you will, within his household, also came to Christ. It's not equal to employee in our society, but it's not equal to slave in 19th century America. It's somewhere in between. And it needs to be understood that way, but, but it has a a very uh, a very. Uh, uh, f- very different meaning than they—they they were simply a slave. These people were part of the the household of the of the of the uh, of the master, and, and that's that's what he's trying to say here. Uh, and they says they're to be subject. Once again, it's it's an imperative. It's a command. It's not a good idea. It's not a suggestion. It's not you ought to do this. It's you will do this. It, it is it is a command, and it's in the continuous mode. It means you will continually be subject to not just for a moment, not just when things you feel like it, but all the time, you will be, that's that's the idea here, it's continuous it's a continuous lining up under the authority of the master in submission that's, that's what he's saying to them, that's what he's saying here, he says, he says servants be subject to your masters and understand that it's to your masters the word master here is an interesting word too it's the word that in English we would say despot. That's what the word means now, your picture is some evil guy like like uh I just went blank i had a I had the guy in my in my mind, and the guy that went, the guy in Africa that killed all kinds of people but he, huh. There you go, Amin. They're the guy I was thinking of, and he went right out of my head. Uh, But anyway, somebody like that, a despot, that that kind of an idea. Uh, However, that's not really what the word means. Uh, It does imply unlimited power and authority as a Lord. It denotes... The Lord as power, as as the as the owner and the master in the sphere of the family and public life. In this particular in this particular case, Uh, Titus chapter two verse nine. Urge slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be pleasing, not contradicting. That's the idea here. They they have authority over that that idea. And and notice it says, be subject to your own masters. That's that's part of the idea here. They're to be there to be the master over the they're the master over the public and private life of those under their authority is the idea here. Incidentally, just to show you how this word is used, and it doesn't necessarily mean an evil dictator type person, uh, it's used of Jesus. It's used in Luke chapter 2, verse 29, Acts 4, 24, 2 Peter, Second Peter uh, 2, 1. There it reads, But false prophets also arise among the people, just as they will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master, despot, speaking of Jesus in this case, who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. It's also used in Jude 4, and it's used in Revelation 6.10. The word describes the one who is in authority and in power, and it's not necessarily meant to be negative. It just means the one with the authority. It means the one with the power. Uh, that's that's what this this word means, and then the next thing he says about it, he says you're to submit. <clears throat> you're you're to submit to your own master with all fear. That's the next thing he says. With all fear, uh, the NASB puts puts it respect. That word works as well. Uh, the word that is used here is the word we get phobia from, uh, which means fear. That's what it means. It means fear. Uh it's used of God in Ephesians six five. There it's fear and trembling. It means fear. There, you're to have a you're to have an awesome fear of God, the one who can destroy body and soul. Even as believers, we should hold that. We should we should hold a very strong reverential fear of the God whom we serve. We should understand that He lives an unapproachable life, but Jesus has made it possible for us now to come into His very throne room. That's an amazing thing. That's an absolute amazing thing. Uh, but we are still to to have that sense. About who our God is. We understand that He is the one that will judge. He is the one that will bring all things to an end and to a culmination. So it's very important that we understand those things. But you also need to understand this word can mean respect as well because it's used in 533 of the husband and wife relationship. And there it doesn't mean the wife is this fear her husband in that sense uh, in the sense of that he can destroy her or something like that because that's not the teaching at all there it has the idea of an unhealthy an unhealthy apprehension of bringing displeasure is, is the idea here of, 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 of causing disruption or disharming and, and it's war. it's basically a warning against careless disregard or disdain for the authority in other words, it's it should. In other words, the relationship between employee, employer shouldn't be one like our political <laughs> arena where everybody has disdain for the other guy. You know, it shouldn't it shouldn't be like that. It should be it shouldn't be an uh, it should be a it should be an, uh, a healthy apprehension of bringing displeasure not bringing not bringing any kind of careless disregard or disdain uh, for for authority it should not be what's going on with the attacks on police departments and and other authorities that have 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 authority now some of them probably deserve it but uh, where they have where they have Gone outside their god given authority, but i don 't want to defend those, but uh, nevertheless nevertheless that 's the idea here and, and it 's basically here in this relationship, given that this is a household relationship, the slave shouldn 't be behaving this way he should be he should be honoring, giving honor to or respect to his 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 master is the idea here and and basically the idea is ultimately God is shown. Fear and respect through this. Verse seven. Uh, excuse me. Verse seventeen. Got to stay in the right book. Verse seventeen of of first of first Peter, where it says, "And if you address as father the one who impartially jar- uh, judges according to each one's work, dis- conduct yourself in fear during the time." Of your sojourn. In other words, no disrespect to God. That's ultimately the idea here. To disrespect the chain of authority is to disrespect God. They used to say in the military, you know, you may not like your commanding officer, but you respect the uniform. That's that's the bottom line. You know, you still salute him. <laughs> that's the idea here. And and then he goes on to say, then he goes on and he talks about. The types, two different types of of master. He says, he says, not only those who are good and considerate, but those who are also crooked. So he says, there are those that are easy to work for. There are those employers who take care of everybody, who are kind, who are gentle, who are good. They're easy to work for. Uh, they're not harsh or or, or demanding or unreasonable. Uh, that's that's the idea here. He says, who are good and considerate. Good is one who is upright, beneficial, satisfactory for another's needs. In other words, this is the master who takes good care of his staff. makes sure they have what they need. Uh, make sure they, he may even say please and thank you once in a while, you know. Doesn't really hurt you to do that. He may say those kind of things. Uh, he's the one who's considered or general. It means he's reasonable and fair. He isn't overbearing or over demanding. Uh, that kind of guy is easy to work for. That's the kind of guy you want to work for. And, and he says, but, you, but he says, on the other hand, uh, this guy is easy to submit to, but there's also the ones who are crooked. Uh, the NASB uh, translates this word unreasonable. It's an interesting word. Uh, this is a very interesting word uh, this uh, This word crooked is translated in English to a medical term called scoliosis, curvature of the spine or a twisted spinal column. Uh, that That's the picture here. Uh, it, it's used in it's used in uh, uh, in Luke 3.5 to talk about a road a scoliosis road a crooked road it, it's spoken of in it's spoken of in Acts 2.14 of a perverse generation this word can be translated perverse uh, of a perverse generation and it's spoken of in Philippians 2.15 as, as a crooked or perverse nation uh, it's used in those those terms. That's the idea here. He's saying he's basically saying you could you may have a master who is perverse, crooked, dishonest, demanding, unreasonable, all of these kinds of things. Uh, he's a man who has a if you will a crooked soul. Is the idea here? Uh, that, that's being expressed. It's that kind of an individual. He's contrasting two kinds of masters, those who are easy to work for and those who mistreat. While while there is the possible suggestion here of physical mistreatment, uh, but it also includes the idea of, since a master had control over, over a slave's finances and his money and any money he was paid, that he might rob him. He might rob him of, of his pay. Uh, or or one who uh who makes unreasonable expectations or very bad working conditions who has no concern or no care uh care for them he looks out for himself first and no one else that that kind of person all those all of those kind of things fall into that the kind that would mistreat uh and 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 not not be honest with what he's not a guy who doesn't keep his word is is kind of the idea here all also romans thirteen one says for there is no authority except from god and those which exist have been appointed by god so basically what he is saying here is no matter whether you have a good master or a not so good master a crooked one uh, you still have the responsibility to submit you need to line yourself up and keep yourself lined up under the authority God has established I suppose we could translate this today uh, in a sense uh, to our workplace which is much different because we have laws and labor boards and unions and various other things that dictate how employees are to be treated and, and oversee this kind of thing. But there are still abuses. It still occurs. People still try to work the system. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, it, it basically says, you should be a good employee. You should be one that goes to work, whether you have a boss you can stand or a boss you can't stand. First, the first boss I ever had, nobody could stand this guy. I mean, he was just a terrible guy to work for. He was totally unreasonable. He he uh, had been out of the off the working floor for a long time. Um, I was a truck mechanic. Okay, now you understand that uh, we don't use speed. You know what a speed wrench is? It's that crooked thing that looks like this. And you put a socket on the end of it, and you do this to put a nut on. We don't use those anymore. We use air wrenches. Mm-hmm. He thought we should still be using those. Though <laughs> so, you know, air wrench goes zip and it's done, you know. <laughs> but anyway, he thought that's the way he thought. You know, but he was just a terrible, unreasonable guy, but he was still the boss. He was still the boss. We still used air wrenches, but he was still the boss. <laughs> but you know, it's, it's, that's the idea here. Uh, some bosses are going to be unreasonable; some are going to be really nice guys they're going to be very reasonable uh, they're going to they're going to try to make sure that you have the best work experience you can so it's it's the same thing you 're to line up under authority if the authority that 's over you uh just just as a little side note for the guys here, especially for guys like me who are retired and bob <laughs> uh I saw a t-shirt online and it says this, I'm retired, I now work for my wife. Uh, anyway, <laughs> hopefully she's a reasonable boss. Anyway, the second he goes on now, he goes into verse 19 and he, said, he gives us the reason for this. He's going to give us the reason now for this submission. He says, for this finds favor if for the sake of consciousness, conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unrighteously. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure. But if you do good and suffer for it, you, uh, you endure. This finds favor with God. So the first thing, he says, four, this introduces the reason. God is pleased when his people trust him in the face of unjust suffering. That's ultimately what this is saying. Uh, it, it Basically, in the next section, he's going to tell us, because this imitates Christ in, 19 through, in, in verses 19, uh, 19 through 25, uh, chapter 2, 19 through 25, he's going to tell us that this, this is an example of Christ. Notice verse 21 of, of chapter um, 2. He says, For to this you have been called, since Christ also suffered for you. Leave an example that you should follow in his steps. That's, that's the idea here. That basically for this reason, because this typifies Christ, uh, because he was our example in unjust suffering, nobody suffered unjustly more than him. And, 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 uh, and he is saying, so you may face this, and as my believers, you are, to, you are to endure it. And he says, he goes on, he says, he says, for it finds favor, for this finds favor, that the word there is grace. It finds grace is the idea here. Um, It's, a, it's the same word is used in Luke two fifty two and and in, in Luke six thirty two uh, when it, when it speaks about uh, uh, Luke 2, two speaks to God's favor Jesus it was Jesus Jesus had favor with God is the idea in his incarnation in six thirty two through thirty five it speaks of you find favor by loving your enemies those are those are the ideas that that are that are found there and and he says he says. He says it finds favor, it finds grace. For you find grace, if for the sake of conscience towards God. So he says, for the sake of conscience towards God. Uh, This phrase basically means that you have a general awareness of his presence. And the motive for the submission, and this is the motive for the submission in workplace, that we're aware of the presence of God always. Always. Sometimes when you're in the middle of a very harsh trial, it might be easy to think God has left you, or God has gone somewhere else, or he took a lunch break, or whatever, whatever thought pops into your head. That's never true. What he's calling, what he's telling you to do here is this is where you draw tight. He's saying this is where you have a conscious that God is sovereign no matter what is going on around you. Uh, the last couple of weeks have been pretty hairy in, in my house. Um, Kathy got pretty sick, you know, and it uh, it was a constant reminder that God is sovereign in her life as well. So, you know, you have to remember that there were moments when I had to stop and tell myself to remember that. You know, and that's 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 the idea here, uh, that there's a constant awareness of God. God' presence enables us, uh, the believer, to endure. That's the idea here, uh, that realizing that, as Paul said, this is uh, these insignificant sufferings my paraphrase uh, these insignificant sufferings that we face in this life these momentary light afflictions after he gives this list of all the things that happened to him they're momentary light afflictions Uh, that's the idea here he says and then notice that the way he phrased this he says a conscience towards God a person bears up He didn't say a slave bears up. He said a person. It recognizes the personhood under God of slaves, but it also recognizes that it's every human being alive. Those human beings which recognize, have a consciousness of God, are able to endure. That's that's what he's saying here. It's not just slaves. It's not only slaves, but it's all believers. And then he says to bear up. He says, to bear up, which means to endure. It means you can take it. It means you're going to get through it. That's the idea here. Uh, that you can bear up under sorrow when suffering unrighteously. He says that you bear up, that you, that you, you endure the sorrow. Uh, that you endure the suffering. That you endure the pain. And incidentally, this particular word is used 26 times in the new testament as a noun or excuse me 16 times in the new testament as a noun and 26 times as a verb never does it refer to physical pain always it refers to mental anguish it's talking of stress the mental pain that suffering brings along with it that's what this word speaks of that's what that's what he's that's what he's he's talking about here yeah. the wor- the worry the fretting uh, the crushing anxiety that might come with it it says this 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 gives you the strength to endure if we have a conscious towards, towards God, if we have a right view of who God is, if we understand that God is the sovereign and he knows and he cares and he's involved in whatever we are facing, it gives us the strength to endure whatever stress is trying to tear us down. And all of those things which, which would endure unjust suffering is the idea here. Uh, that's that's what he's saying. He gives us the strength to hold up under the pressure of it all. He says that you might bear up under sorrow when suffering unrighteously, when you're called to when you're called to face unrighteous suffering. Unlike today's workplace, the workers of the first century and especially slaves had nowhere to get re- uh, regress for their grievances. They couldn't there was no one to go to. Uh, there was no one that was going to listen anyway. Uh, they just had to suffer the physical abuse and the mental stress that their circumstances presented. Uh, but even us today are called to to face whatever whatever we have to face, whether it be in the workplace or at home or uh, from government or wherever, but especially here it would it would it would refer to the workplace. We we are we are called to to keep our eye on Jesus. Ultimately, Hebrews twelve, we're to keep our eye our fix on Jesus. That's where our gaze is to be. We're not to we're not to be drawn away into some kind of self pity or or cursing God and telling uh, as Job's wife suggested he do curse God and die uh, we're not to do that uh, that's, that's, that's not what we're to do we're to, we're, to, we're, to, we're to recognize that God is involved in all of this we're called to endure for the glory and the honor of the God whom we serve 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses, verses 1 through 4 Paul writing in the Thessalonians says Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to give thanks to god we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers as is only fitting because of your faith is growing abundantly and the love of each one of you toward one another increasing all the more so that we ourselves boast about you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of your persecution and affliction which you are enduring Uh, there there is the testimony James chapter James, chapter 5, verse 11. Behold, we count those blessed to preserve you have heard of the uh, the perseverance of jo- of job and you have seen the outcome of the lord's dealing that the lord is full of compassion and is merciful those are the things we're to remember and then he goes on and in ver- and he continues with this this uh this uh, re- this line of reasoning and in verse 20 as he brings us to Excuse me, as he brings us to a conclusion and he says this, "For what credit is there? if when you sin you are harshly treated, you endure. But if you do good and you suffer for it, you endure, uh, you endure, and you endure, this finds favor with God. So he says here he says, "Look uh, if you're doing wrong, you should expect to get punished. That's the bottom line. You know, if you've done something wrong, you should expect the consequences of your actions. Uh, that, that should be expected. Uh, something I've tried to teach my children, although I'm not sure all of them learned it. But nevertheless, uh, I had a son, my one in the middle. There's a couple of people in here who will recognize this one real quick. Uh, but uh, he thought he was too smart for homework. He didn't need to do it. It was boring. It was repetitious, and he didn't need to do it. And he uh, he uh, decided not to do this paper the teacher assigned. I got a call from the teacher that they were going to keep him after school in detention for a while because he didn't do this paper. The problem was at that time Michael was seriously ill and being bounced in and out of the hospital. Kathy was half the time living at the hospital with him and uh, there was no way we could we could do that because we couldn't get him home from school it was too far it would have been dark by the time he got out and the bus didn't run at, for uh, people after school so i told the teacher this is what we're going to do if you'll go along with it he, i'm going to triple his assignment and he's going to spend this weekend sitting in my office doing it and when it's done he's going to turn it into you and i expect him not to get a grade But as an accountability, I want you to know that that's what we're doing. And she says to me, Mr. Adamson, I'll just let you handle this. And and that was the end of it. And he spent a whole weekend doing that paper. And he did it triple what was demanded. And he turned it in. The teacher felt bad and gave him a grade anyway. I don't know how that worked for teaching consequences. But anyway, you know. But there are consequences. You do wrong and there are consequences. That's, that's what it's saying here. He's saying, for what credit is there when you sin and you are harshly treated, you endure? What, what do you expect when you do something at work that is absolutely stupid and you get yourself in trouble and the boss disciplines you? And then you go complaining and whining about it. No, you deserved it you know, that's that's the bottom line I've been on both sides of that I've done something stupid and got in trouble and have been a boss and had to put people in trouble who did something stupid you know, so that's, that's really the bottom line here he says, what credit is it? incidentally, this, this word credit is a word that means to call out aloud uh, to call out uh, uh, for attention or to be called out by name it's basically, you did it <laughs> that's, that's the idea here uh, and And you get no credit for having done it here there 's no credit for doing wrong, and you, basically you just take the punishment that 's what this says: you just take it, you just do what you're what you 're supposed to do uh, you know you just do from there, but in contrast, he says, but in contrast to that, if you do good and suffer for it, and you endure, this finds favor once again grace with God. he basically is saying here. It basically saying here, but in contrast, if you're punished for doing right and you suffer for it, which incidentally is a repeated theme throughout the book of 1 Peter, and we're going to find it again in verse 19 of chapter 2, in, verse, in chapter 3, in verses 14 and 17, and in chapter 4 in verses 13 through 16, this theme of suffering. For doing right, suffering un, uh, uh, unwarranted suffering—that's uh, the idea. Punished, punished for doing right, and he says, and you're to endure that as well. That's that's kind of the idea here. He's wanting us to understand that that's what happens in this perverse scoliosis world we live in that's that's the idea uh, that's being said there we're to we're to we're to endure uh, those things because they find favor with god god keeps the account on this is what it is telling us And the fact of the matter is for today's worker despite all of the worker protections and, and other things which are very often abused. There are times when, uh, when uh, we just must endure, even though we've done right. That's ultimately the bottom line. That's, that's what he's telling us here. Uh, this is a text that basically says, says, in this life, it isn't fair. You ever tell your kids that? Life isn't fair? That's what this says. Life isn't always fair, but God is. He makes he makes all things right. That's the that's the end of this of this of this text. Uh, any comments or questions this morning? Yeah. When you first started talking about the servant and this place and everything, I just immediately thought of Joseph. Yeah. You know, he was a slave. Yeah. And then he got raised up, and he took care of the household, and yeah. Yeah, Joseph, Daniel. Those are those are the two prime examples of those uh, of those guys uh, that that. Uh, That that would be true. He did, you know. He got punished for for doing right, and uh, ultimately, God in this life rewarded him in that one. So that's yeah, that is an excellent example of what we're talking about talking about here. Uh, This 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 translates to the workplace, but you got to make the application carefully because. We don't live in the first-century Roman world, <laughs> and uh, we have different laws and things. But it's a, uh, it's a, uh, uh, it's an interesting text. Basically, the text is you respect authority. It's through this whole text it says you respect the authority God has put in place, and and no matter what happens under that authority. You trust in God. You put your faith is in Him. Uh, that's where you put it, and that's that's how that's how you let uh, you let things come to you let things you let things come to uh, to be, and and you can rest in that. You you it'll take care of the mental anguish that uh, that accompanies it. And I think uh, if you just remember too, I think one of the most important things, and I, I've heard it said from the pulpit here in a, maybe a different way, but. Uh, remember your history with God you know when you find yourself in some in a fix when things are not going right when things are tough and when you uh, you think uh, everything is coming apart th- look back over your history with God look look how he's brought you through to this point and he's going to keep taking you through till he calls you home that's that's the that's the ultimate end let's pray father God we uh we this morning we we thank you. We thank you for this text. We thank you uh, for this time in your word. Uh, we trust, Lord, that we have dissected it properly and, and we can put it into our understanding that your Spirit would use these these words to correct us in those ways which we should be corrected, to grow us where we should be grown, to draw us nearer to you, to make us make us better servants for you in this life uh, that we might find uh, we might find that favor it spoke of the grace it spoke of knowing that you ultimately will right all things correct all wrongs reward all proper work and we would thank you and we would praise you in the name of our lord jesus amen